This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here we go, hour two. Great day for talk radio, but it's also turning into a dark day. The day's gone. Boy, it goes a lot sooner. You know, as a matter of fact, I guess uh, we still have a couple of weeks until we start to round the corner and get back into, like, uh, you know, positive daylight. Because the longest uh, or the shortest day of the year would be, what, December 21? Yeah, the solstice. That's what it is. I only know that because of Spinal Tap. <laughs> That's right. Uh, of course, uh, did they learn that from the Druids? No one knew who they were or what they were doing. Remember that one where uh, they actually had the replica of Stonehenge made, but uh, I guess one of the roadies or whoever was the design guy uh, got it mixed up instead of an 18-foot replica of Stonehenge as a backdrop for their prog rock. It turned out to be 18 inches, and uh, yeah, they danced around it. Anyway, uh, we digressed, but not for the worse. I mean, uh, that was fun. But, you know, the uh, daylight hours, of course, diminished in the uh, late uh, or the early winter, and this is what we've got to face. Uh, a lot of people also uh, getting hit because maybe they're not wearing reflective clothing, clothing dressed darkly. Uh, I've seen it myself on the way home. Well, you're dressed. I mean, I don't know what that is. That's out of the goth playbook. you got something going on there, Mike. Uh, I'm not a cat burglar. I just dress <laughs> like one. Yeah, all right. You could have convinced me. So this is where the serious consideration comes in when it comes to clothing and being spotted on the roads as people come from work, you know, heading home at this time. Uh, We know the stats are not really, uh, they're very disconcerting is what they are. 45 pedestrians and cyclists have been killed so far this year. And that exceeds the number of pedestrian and cycle deaths recorded in any year since they've been keeping stats uh, going back to 2007. Most recently on Tuesday night, there was a 60-year-old gentleman who was hit in Scarborough and has since died of his injuries in a hospital. Uh, so this is the, the question that I have for you. I mean, we have a mayor who stood behind what's called Vision Zero uh, to increase road safety and uh, the awareness so that we would ultimately, you know, mitigate the carnage and take it down to ideally zero. But is that even something that we can entertain as an ideal, uh, given the numbers? We're heading in the other direction. Let's find out. Jared Cobb has joined us, the executive director of Cycle Toronto, on this matter and more. Jared, good to have you on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks very much. It's good to be here. Well, all right. Uh, I guess you would agree with me, uh, being a cyclist and all at this time of the year, especially, uh, I guess it does heighten the uh, potential for people being, you know, clipped on the road just insofar as the diminished daylight, right? Yeah, certainly. You know that we, you know, the stats really speak for themselves. And uh, you know, when when the daylight hours change, we certainly see a spike in the number of collisions between you know drivers and and pedestrians and cyclists on Toronto roads. All right. Uh, so I guess by way of a public service announcement, folks, if you're planning, uh, you know, to get out and about, and it's almost inevitable people are coming from work at this time, uh, you know, even kids later from school, you know, with extracurriculars and stuff. Make sure you're visible. Do you think that's played a part in all of this? I mean, uh, the most recent spate within a 24-hour window in the GTA, I guess four people died, pedestrians. Uh, Any idea what was the reason or the cause behind them? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, to start, I, I don't think people are, are dressing differently necessarily than they were 20 years ago. You know, I don't think black has always been a, a really popular, uh, you know, a color for a coat, uh, for pants, etc. That hasn't changed. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm con- a bit concerned, I think, overall about the messaging on, you know, we need to, pedestrians need to be wearing reflective vests or, you know, we all need to be decked out like a Christmas tree. You know, I, I don't think that that's actually going to lead to a solution here on our roads. Uh, I think I think education, quite frankly, is a is a failed paradigm for road safety. Uh, and I think that that's why Vision Zero is, quite frankly, revolutionary in terms of its potential impact. It really says, listen, we're always going to make mistakes. Human beings are totally fallible. Uh, what we need to do is we need to find a way to take the risk out of the roadway so that when there's a collision, it doesn't lead to a serious injury or death, but instead is something everyone can walk away from. All right. Uh, the ultimate goal of Vision Zero is what? As the name implies, get it down to zero. I don't know yeah. that that's even practical, is it? Yeah, you know, I, again, I, I think that one thing that, um, you know, I think we all agree on is that to do this, it's going to it's going to take some time. Um, you know, the place where this this movement was born, which was in Sweden, uh, the you know, capital city of Stockholm, has got that number now down to one. Uh, and that, you know, this is a project that goes back 15 or 20 years. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it is possible. I think it's, quite frankly, it's the only moral goal that we can adopt. Uh, and we've got to be focused, really focused on making it a reality. Well, all right. Uh, but we're also committing a lot of resources to it, if I understand correctly, $100 million over five years. Uh, how will that money be allocated? Yeah, the, the, the city's plan um, puts it towards, you know, intersection by intersection, you know, redesigns, you know, lowering speed limits on specific streets that they identify. I think, you know, our, our concern is, is that, you know, there's a lot of pieces, uh, of course, that are part of the plan. Our worry is, is that this plan is, is too much looking in the rearview mirror. Uh, it's too much saying, okay, well, we saw a few fatalities here or a few serious injuries there. You know, this is the intersection we need to focus on. What we're not seeing are the, kind of the citywide policies that we need to adopt. Um, there's no question that speed is the number one factor in virtually all collisions. And had, you know, a driver been, been sl- moving slower in their vehicle, uh, it's something that perhaps that pedestrian may have been able to walk away from. Uh, so from our perspective, we need to see some fairly significant changes right across the city, which starts with, you know, reducing the default speed limit. Uh, you know, it's 50 right now. You know, we want to see it uh, down to 40, um, you know, in the near term uh, and, and further reductions down the road. Well, yeah, Jennifer Keysmat in the recently completed municipal election, uh, she had suggested taking the default in 40 zones down to 30. Do you support that? Yeah, yeah. You know, we do. It's the, the challenge, though, of course, is that that policy was specifically directed at residential streets. And, you know, I, I live on a residential street. You know, many Torontonians do. Um, and the, the challenge, of course, is that in those environments, really only about 12% of the, the collisions that are happening there are leading to serious injuries and deaths. It's really our arterial roads that are our deadliest streets. Uh, and that's where I think we really have to have a conversation about r- r- lowering the default speed limit from 50 down to 40, like I said. Uh, and I think in the future, down the road, down to 30. Do you think bike lanes everywhere would actually be a, a help or a hindrance? 
Yeah, I, you know, I think this is, again, one of the most challenging things is that, um, you know, we, we've seen some movement on, you know, protected bike lanes in particular in the downtown core. Um, but one of the things we haven't seen is a bigger rollout of those uh, protected facilities. Uh, and so, you know, we're certainly uh, encouraged by, you know, there's been a number of city councillors uh, who've been, you know, reelected or elected for the first time who want to build a, you know, a citywide network of protected bike lanes. No, that's not a bike lane on every street, um, but it is a grid that, you know, people who choose to ride a bike can ride safely on. Because, you know, quite frankly, cycling is not an inherently dangerous activity. Uh, there are many places in the world where it's very safe, and there are parts of Toronto where it's very safe. Um, but it's, uh, it's something that needs, really does need some attention. Well, all right, but it also has to be applied in a practical sense. For example, there's been a lot of consternation for folks on uh, the Woodbine uh, thoroughfare there because bike lanes came in there and it's just turned into a real dog's breakfast. Wouldn't they be better served to have bike lanes on adjacent streets rather than Woodbine? Yeah, you know, I think I think one of the concerns that certainly we've heard from local residents and, and quite frankly, you know, our members and from cyclists who live in that area um, is that not enough attention was paid to the side streets. Um, you know, that there's a there's a lot of traffic infiltration that has resulted. Um, and I think one of the things we got to do in the city of Toronto is we need to stop looking at one specific corridor and talking about, you know, putting a bike lane or putting a new transit line. We really have to think about the, the, the wider community and the impacts that that's going to have on those side streets. We need to work to prevent traffic infiltration on those streets and there's great ways we can do it to you know improve lives for people of all ages on those streets um, but you know when it back to back to woodbine uh, you know I think we've got we've got to build a grid um, we need protected bike lanes on main streets uh, and I think we need to see more of it well you got to widen the street then what other practical way is there around that right now uh, there's all kinds of throttling that's happening with cars, especially during the, the peak hours, the rush hours, delivery trucks are stopping in one lane and uh, that pretty much channels everybody into a single lane and you've got that volume of vehicles. It just doesn't seem practical that uh, you'd have bike lanes on that thoroughfare. Yeah, again, you know, I think that there's a number of alternate streets. I think we have seen, you know, some increased congestion on Woodbine, but I also think that people are adjusting their behavior, and we'll see those numbers come down. People will be choosing other streets to, to drive on, or, you know, in the long term, they'll choose other modes. There's no question that it's not, this isn't just a cycling and driving question. You know, there's, a, there's an important transit question here, too, which is what are the options that people have to, let's say, that you know, who live in southwest Scarborough who want to leave their car at home. Maybe they want a bike, you know, some days of the week, um, but maybe not others. But if transit options aren't great, you know, that's going to be something that's going to be really important um, to, to invest in. But, you know, for the purposes of achieving Vision Zero, there's no question that protected bike lanes improve safety for cyclists, but also improve safety for, for pedestrians. Uh, and and we, we need more of them in the city of Toronto. Well, all right. Uh, yeah. Again, getting down to zero, uh, that's a laudable goal, but I don't know how practical it is. As a matter of fact, you know, I get where five cyclists have died this year, 40 pedestrians so far. Uh, that's right. That's, you know, a disconcerting figure, but the police in that count don't count the death of a cyclist in Don Mills who hit a parked vehicle. So uh, I don't know, you know, if you can say that this is entirely something that we can eliminate if, uh, you know, some folks just through misadventure or mishap uh, find an untimely end. Uh, but in the interim, what you're saying is we need a comprehensive plan and let's dedicate ourselves to rather than just piecemeal uh, going about it intersection by intersection or, you know, one street at a time. We have to have an overarching kind of uh, vision going forward. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And I, and I think that involves speed limit reductions. That means, in addition to that, though, that means, um, you know, speed safety cameras in the school zones. You know, we've been really, uh, I think that the, the mayor and, and other members of Toronto City Council have been really thoughtful on this um, to be able to bring in, you know, in all school zones. Um, what about uh, licensing bikes? And, you know, because in a lot of cases, people have complained that uh, they want it both ways, the cyclists, you know, uh, that it's a casual pastime, just cycling around the neighborhood. Others are, are using it as a principal mode of transportation and in doing so you know they're on the roads and uh, coexisting with cars and pedestrians if there were uh, a system of licensing maybe i mean people who just want to you know tour around in the cul-de-sac uh, that's a different set of circumstances licensing and insurance as well would you support that it's not something that we support at the time, no. Um, and, you know, Toronto used to have a bicycle licensing system. It was abandoned in 1950, 1958 uh, or 1957, I should say. And it was abandoned because, you know, staff at that time, back in the 50s, recognized that uh, the costs of the system um, were far greater than the benefits. Uh, and this is something we've seen, you know, around the world is there's, you know, other than actually Honolulu is the only jurisdiction around the world that has a bicycle licensing scheme. Uh, and, uh, you know, our there's places in the uh, around the world where you know 30 or 40 percent of people are riding uh, every day of the year. So you know I, I, our perspective on it is when it comes to licensing that the police already have the full powers um, of enforcement. Uh, you know if you are dumb enough to blow through you know uh, a, a, a red light at a major intersection, um, you know you deserve that 365 dollar fine that the police are going to slap on you. Uh, and that you know I think there is you know something to be said here for education in our school systems, teaching people how to ride a bike. It's not something that we have right now, um, but that licensing won't get us to where we want need to be to start bringing down these numbers. I just thought, uh, you know, having more skin in the game, uh, you dent a car, insurance has to pay out. Uh, there's something more uh, serious to consider insofar as cycling as a, a principal mode of transportation. I'll let you go on that note, though. I appreciate you giving us your perspective on how we get to Vision Zero, if in fact that's doable. Uh, it's something, obviously, uh, we'd like to strive to mitigate the numbers, so uh, if we can get close to that, uh, it'd be a good thing. Jared, thanks, thanks so much John. for your time. All the best. You got it. Jared Cobb, again, Exec Director of Cycle Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.